Hello and welcome to Humans in Extremes. My name is Heather Massey and in this podcast we'll be chatting to people who've worked and lived in extreme or challenging environments. Our guest today is Josh Llewellyn Jones, OBE. He's an athlete, a world record holder, a motivational speaker, fundraiser and a CF warrior. Hi Josh. Hi Heather, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. And yourself? Good, I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for the uh, the long introduction as well. I've got to live up to that now. <laughs> <laughs> um, we first met at 2019 in the warm-up to one of your challenges. Um, now, you're a serial offender when it comes to challenges, so I'd really like just a flavour of the challenges you've undertaken. Okay, well, my first, I'd say, proper challenge was back in 2017 when I wanted to celebrate my 30th birthday uh, by completing the World's Fittest Man Challenge and becoming the fifth person in the world to complete it. Reason being really was because growing up um, with cystic fibrosis, which is something that I was diagnosed with at birth, I was always told that I, I wouldn't reach my 30th birthday. So the motivation behind that event was really just to sort of show what was humanly possible, um, even having you know, sort of been diagnosed with this sort of terminal condition. Um, so the, the World's Fittest Man Challenge was essentially 24 hours of exercise nonstop, uh, which entailed cycling 100 miles, lifting 100 tons, running 10 mile, rowing 10 mile, cross training 10 mile, swimming two miles, and then doing 3,000 sit-ups, 1,000 press-ups, and 1,000 squats. And I suppose having completed it um, sort of well on target in 22 hours, uh, I, I went on to do another 10 miles on the rowing machine. So it was really one of those things that sort of kicked off on social media in a big way. We reached around 8 million people that day on Twitter, and we raised an awful lot of money on just giving for, for CF as well. So I think the, the sort of inspiration behind it was really to show children and families what was humanly possible uh, if you wanted it enough. And I'd always said from from that moment on, really, that it was going to be a, an annual challenge that I'd participate in. And not long after I'd finished that, a lot of people were sort of saying, you know, well, what next? Um, not really giving me much sort of space to sort of breathe and sort of digest what had happened uh, and what I'd achieved. So in 2018, I went on then to attempt a, a world record, which was to lift uh, 1 million kilos in 24 hours and subsequently did that in 22 hours and 11 minutes, um, just a minute uh, longer than the previous world challenge I did. So, so that was quite interesting. You know, it brought about a lot more sort of challenges. I had stress fractures in my hand 10 days before the event um, and wasn't allowed any sort of pain relief for that. And it was safe to say the hardest thing I'd ever done to date. And when I did it again, not long after, people started asking, well, well what next? Um, which is a common theme now. Um, so it's quite interesting to sort of go back to Google, have a look at things that people had done. And really, I think my main aim was to do things that were different from year to year. And the reason being is that I wanted to show that you didn't have to be an out and out expert in one field to complete a challenge like this. So I then came up with the five days for CF, which was to swim 21 miles, to cycle 200 miles, and then to run 160 miles. And that was all in five days with no rest. So that was when 
we met uh, when I came down to Portsmouth um, to meet with you and Zoe to talk about the swimming element. Uh, and, and back then, uh, I know you'll remember this conversation that we had, which was very frank, that I wanted to swim that 21 miles by crossing the channel. Um, so from Dover to, to, to France. And I think if I even if I was sort of brutal about it and I look back now I was not a swimmer as I'm sure that you'll agree with um I'd done some swimming growing up but it certainly wasn't my forte and that was when it sort of hit home right I really need to get some training done here and and seriously up my skill level pretty quickly because I had what seven months eight months to go before the challenge I believe so I wasn't really giving myself enough time I, I suppose, but you know, so we went we went ahead with a swim in Dover Leisure Centre instead, um, which I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it was thirteen hundred and fifty three lengths or something like that. Yeah, that's correct. Your challenge, your five days to CF, was absolutely astounding and fantastic to watch. Can I just ask, how do you prepare for each of these challenges? So your World Fitness Challenge, the 1 million kilos, and then the five days for CF. How do you go about training for such events? So I think it's fair to say the first year's challenge, uh, I had two trainers, essentially. One, Nathan Togan, who at the time was great British bobsleigh brakeman, essentially, and a personal trainer. And he sort of very much did my physical programming. He put the, the program together for my training every day. Um, I was allowed one day off in every two weeks. So I was pushing sort of five to six hours a day training. And it was five to six hours of, of nonstop. It wasn't sort of like a oh, half hour session and then sort of a 10 minute rest it was very much um condensed into sort of five to six hours of of no breaks and the early days sort of i would say two to three months of that were absolutely brutal because it was it was a training program like i'd never followed before i spoke to a lot of people who you know sort of within the fitness industry who said you know you shouldn't be training like that you're not getting enough rest um you know you're not getting enough sleep and you're pushing your body to its absolute limit um almost on a daily basis to be honest um but i quickly realized that i believe the human body is capable of it it's very adaptive and Somehow my body adapted to the training. Um, I got used to just being in pain every day and then turning up at the gym to do another session was just the norm. And I prepared so much. I'd done test runs before. So I did a 25% test run and a 50% test run where I'd go to the gym and I would complete 25% and 50% of the actual challenge. Um, and just to see how long it would take me and to, to sort of test out um, nutrition um, and, and sort of a, a game plan with toilet breaks as well. Well, sort of all you've got to take into to consideration that I was only allowed three two minute breaks that first year. So, you know, toilet breaks were, were going to have to be pretty quick. Um, and then the second year came round and it was pure weightlifting. So for that one, I had two main trainers um, who did the programming for me who um, were in the in the RAF and they'd done a lot of um, sort of training plans for people and very experienced with weight um, training in terms of technique, um, loading the body and sort of what they found was that this was more endurance based rather than strength. So although I had to be fairly strong, I had to be able to lift for consecutive hours without stopping. So again, the training plan was sort of six to seven hours of weightlifting a day, one day off in every 10 um, for about 11 months. And again, my body shape changed. And, you know, and again, 
for this year, uh, for the five days for CF, it was a completely different training plan. Lawrence Cronk, who who you know is, um, he did that program for me, and again, it was swimming, cycling, and running, which was nothing that I'd done before, um, to be honest. But what I found personally is that it's the mental strength that really needed training rather than the physical strength. Um, And what I mean by that is that you can train every single day physically and get yourself to a particular level. But unless you train your mind to deal with, you know, the ups and the downs, and especially the dark moments where it's going to hurt like hell, you don't know sort of where you are, you don't know what you're doing, and you're sort of totally zoned out. And every single inch of your body is in excruciating pain you're not going to complete it. So you've got to be able to go to those places during training, um, you know, to pass out, to throw up, all of those types of sort of experiences so there are no shocks on the day. I, I totally agree with what you're saying there, particularly about the mental strength. And now particularly for the last two challenges that you, you've undertaken, you've actually started the challenge out already injured. Yeah. It was, <laughs> do you know what? I've had no luck the last two years with injuries um the first year like I said I I had stress fractures in my right hand 10 days and I only realized 10 days before when I went downstairs and and went to pour myself a cup of coffee and I I physically could not um, lift and twist the kettle to pour the pour the water and I had a million kilos to lift 10 days later so things weren't looking great and I said to the the team basically uh for the day I said listen guys if, if you strap it up I'm going to be thinking about the injury. So let's start out without strapping it up. And I think it was about three hours in. I was like, guys, you've got to strap it up. It's absolutely killing me. Um, And it was just, I think, because I'd set the goal on a million. I think mentally I wanted it so much um, to show that it was possible because what you've got to understand is that when you announce that you're going to lift a million kilos, it was over double the old world record. Everyone just thinks, well, that's humanly impossible. So the amount of people that actually believed I was going to do it, I could count on one hand. And I think for me, that that was huge motivation to prove a lot of people wrong. Um and, and, you know, I got through it. It was it was extremely painful. You know, they had to retake my hand a few times during the day. And then we go into this year and stupid me, um, it was around May time and my brother's birthday and they were going paintballing. And I'd always said, oh, you know, I'm not going to do anything stupid because, you know, of risk of injury. And I went paintballing. I was sprinting down the hill and I went over on my ankle and tore the ATFL ligament in my ankle. So I couldn't run for a few months. I was on crutches. I think the crutches lasted about a week before I got bored of them. And um, and I think it was, you know, to go into something like that injured, as you know, I was in that pool with my ankle sort of support on. And it was it was painful from the first hour, really. Uh, it, it just, it wasn't, it wasn't right. But I was mentally prepared for that. And I knew that it was going to hurt for the whole five days. It wasn't going to get any better. And then obviously running the 160 mile, that was that was excruciating at times. Uh, my ankle blew up a couple of times and I had to be carried to the ambulance um, for Max to sort of retape it and strap it up and rigid tape it basically to make sure that I could carry on. But yeah, I haven't had much luck with injury and I'm hoping next year <laughs> I get a little bit luckier with, with that. But having said that, when you train every day for these things, you know, I think injury is just bound to happen. I understand that. And you mentioned Max as well. So you had quite a, a large support team helping you. Just a quick intro to the, the, the full support team. 
So obviously there's yourself. Uh, there's also Zoe Sainer from down in Portsmouth. Uh, we had Max Curtis, who was the physio, and he was really there to sort of fix me if anything broke um, and give me some relief uh, as and when I needed it, really. There was Dave Tonge from Heathwood Swimming down in Cardiff. So he sort of worked alongside you for my swimming technique, which was much needed, um, especially in those early days. Um, and we, we sort of went on a lot of sort of training swims together to understand my pace, my stroke rate and things like that. And then there was Reese Jenkins, who he was really there for, for the running element. He's an ultra runner himself. So he has bags of experience when it comes to running long distances. And he was really sort of my key support runner, but also to help with sort of like the you know the getting food getting drink when i needed it just like everyone everyone else was really and then my brother was in the background as well as a support driver um i had all my family around me and i think you know yes it's it's me doing the the bulk of everything but you know like you and dave when you were alternating in the pool uh swimming lengths with me it broke it up it made it a lot easier for me to focus on just swimming for that half hour to get that that bulk of length done um with you and then it was quite sort of refreshing then um every time i saw a new face it made it a lot more interesting because you know, 1,353 lengths in a pool is is not the most exciting of times. Yeah, I agree that uh, that's quite dull. Yes, it is. And, and I think, you know, even though it was for a cause, it was for obviously CF Warriors, my charity, and, and Rays of Sunshine, a children's charity, and who, which I'm an ambassador for, it's, you've got that ultimate goal of raising as much money as possible for charities. But... I think people forget that, you know, there are so many barriers that you have to go through during these challenges. It's not just sort of when you run a marathon, you you have one or two sort of periods where you think I can't physically go on you know with something that extends to five days you have got so many different elements being thrown at you including the weather that I had on the bike ride which was horrendous but having the key team around you at those moments just to remind you why you're doing it and also to sort of back you up to say you know you can do this this is this is possible um, is absolutely key so I think you know someone asked me the other day about the balance between physical physical capacity and mental capacity and I think as long as you've done enough training for the event and you've prepared your body uh, as much as you possibly can I think when it comes to the actual challenge I strongly believe that it's about 90% mental you you have to turn up on the day and make sure that you're sort of firing on all cylinders but it's it's your mind that you have to give it the ability to just take over and go on to sort of you know get in the zone and just crack on with the job ahead. And I saw that firsthand when you'd been swimming for nearly 14 hours in a nice warm pool in Dover to then be assaulted by some horizontal rain, virtually hurricane winds trying to get out of Dover on your bike. It was horrendous. Um, it It was possibly the worst weather I'd ever experienced, whether it be running or cycling outside. And I think my body had become so used to the very, very warm environment in Dover Leisure Centre around the pool area and obviously in the water. And, you know, I'd become accustomed to that environment. I was in the zone for pretty much the whole swim, I think, from from what I can remember. And to then go out into conditions which I'd never experienced whilst training uh, i mean I, I don't know the exact temperatures but i think you were talking around seven eight degrees and like you said horizontal rain the wind was just colossal and you know we were going uphill for pretty much you know sort of four or five hours 
of that that element of the of the challenge and you know i had a turn and it's something that I had to come to terms with really, with really quickly that, you know, St. John's Ambulance were incredible. They followed us the whole for the whole five days. And it was, I think, around seven or eight hours in, I believe, um, that, you know, I got pulled essentially off the road, uh, got in the ambulance, and I was out of it. I was completely out. My sats were down um, by quite some way, and I was in a bad way. Zoe was saying that she could hear me breathing from the car, which was driving sort of 30 to 40 feet behind going up this hill so you know at one point I think I got on the bike and I was still sleeping while she pushed me off to to sort of get going again and I think it was at that stage where everyone could see you know what you can put your body through but there's always this line of safety that you have to have on these challenges so I was pulled for a couple of hours and I had to sort of literally sit in the ambulance get my sats back up get warm again my waterproofs even though they were good quality were pretty useless that night um and you know essentially I I did end up cycling into St James's Palace um and which was an experience in itself that was absolutely incredible but I think in hindsight, would I have done anything differently? I don't think I possibly could have done. I think it was one of those moments where that kind of weather, you just, you can't really train if you haven't had that weather all year round. So there was nothing that was going to prepare me more for that. But again, the team were absolutely incredible. And that's what they were there to do was to look out for me and make sure that, you know, it didn't get beyond that point of, of no return, really. That sounds horrendous. A real low uh, of your of your five days. What was the high point of that challenge for you? Oh, there, do you know what? There are actually quite a few high points. Um, finishing the swim with you and Dave was just immense. That was that was a feeling that I hadn't I'd anticipated a little bit, but not to the extent that the the feeling was was incredible to finish 21 miles in the pool was something and I think it was the reason I look at that as one of the main high points of the whole challenge was because when I started out swimming you know in I'd say sort of January February this year I wasn't a swimmer you know I I could swim a couple of lengths and then I'd be absolutely knackered um so and especially when I came down to Portsmouth and you saw me swim, I could almost see the shock on your face that this guy's gonna try and swim twenty-one miles or more this year. This is this is ridiculous. Um so I think, you know, that was an achievement in itself. Um and the fact that there was a channel swimmer in the pool, um, the guy that turned around and, and said he'd rather swim the channel than swim the equivalent distance in the pool, that said a lot to me about mental sort of strength I, I suppose the ability to almost switch off to to what you're doing and just one arm in front of the other and just get the job done and then to finish that that was a huge high point um to cycle into st james's palace you know to get you know his royal highness the prince of wales his permission to do that was incredible it's never been done before it's not likely to ever been uh, to ever happen again um so just to have the honor to to do that was just immense um and then Really, running across the bridge, across the Seven Bridge into Wales, I got really emotional. And I think it was because during the whole run, I had no concept of where I was or how long I I had left to run. But then when I hit the bridge, I kind of knew my surroundings. I knew where I was. I was like, oh, my God, I'm nearly there. I'm nearly home. I've only got a little bit more to do, and then I'm done. And there was that, I think, a little bit of a realization that – we were going to complete the five days for CF, which was the main the main goal, was to, to do it across five days and get back to Wales. So 
for me, you know, we saw so many messages on social media and do you know what? It became less about the distances and less about the actual challenge itself and more about the cause and to why we were doing it, which was obviously to get children all around the world exercising. Um, so I think it, with that in mind, that was a huge high for me, crossing that bridge and, and realising that I was nearly home. And obviously getting home was <laughs> was even better. But I think I finished at around three o'clock and then I was on the six o'clock news in Wales. So I had to go to the studios for a, uh, for an interview. So I didn't get much rest um, that evening before getting home. So it was you're always on a cloud on cloud nine when you finish these challenges. So, you know, sort of adrenaline is at an all time high. But obviously what goes up must come down. So the next few days were pretty tough. So you talk about highs and lows um, and you certainly go through that low period afterwards. As a channel swimmer myself, I know that you have this exceptional high and the lows after it are, are super low. And you mentioned that you were doing this for CF and for your charitable causes. Can you just explain a bit about those? Yeah. So as I said, born in 1987 with cystic fibrosis, not much was really known about the disease. Um, and we had some advice when I was two from a very good family friend, Dr. Bob Kramer, who's sadly not with us any longer. But he gave the advice to my mum and dad when I was two to run my legs off. Basically, the exercise was absolutely key in keeping me fit and healthy and giving me the best chance of a, of a happy, healthy life, essentially. So that's exactly what what my family did. So naturally, when I grew up, I thought, well, you know, it, it's not good enough just me knowing about this. We, we have to tell the whole world that this is the, the best advice that we've ever had. And to do that, I needed to do challenges which raised money, but more importantly, awareness for the cause. So me and my brother decided after many years of fundraising for lots of other CF charities, We'd raised in excess of £700,000 for, for cystic fibrosis charities. And then we decided, listen, you know, we've got different sort of viewpoints on, on what we need to promote and what we need to get these children doing. So we set up our own charity called CF Warriors, which helps children all over the world getting to sport and exercise, essentially, with cystic fibrosis. And then very kindly, um, the chief executive, Jane Sharp of Rays of Sunshine Charity, which is a is a charity which basically grants wishes to seriously ill children around the UK. Um, she asked me to be an ambassador, which was incredible, to be honest. 7% of their children have cystic fibrosis. But it, it's two causes, really, that are, are obviously very close to my heart. But from from what I see with the, with the community and certainly the fundraising, you have to do these extreme challenges to get the awareness, to get people's attention, to say, you know, is he going to make it? Is he not going to make it? There's that sort of excitement when people are watching the challenge on social media. You know, there's always that question mark over, is this a step too far? You know, is is this challenge too big um, for a human being, let alone someone with cystic fibrosis? And so, yeah, I think that's, that's my why is extremely strong. And that's what I've always said about people who set goals and set challenges and, and physical challenges, no matter what it is. <laughs> If your why is strong enough, then you're perfectly capable of completing the task. Um, but yeah, I think for me, though, those are the two causes that I know that I'll be sort of fighting for, for for the rest of my days. One of the main tools you use for raising awareness is social media. This is a particularly useful tool that it brings together communities. And in the case of CF, those that can't get close to each other to shake hands. Now, could you explain why people with CF can't get too close to each other. 
Yes. So within cystic fibrosis, you have cross-infection risk. So for instance, I could be carrying a certain particular bug um, that I can easily pass on to someone else with cystic fibrosis or vice versa. And those bugs are pretty rough. You know, you can you can get laid up in, in hospital for many weeks at a time just trying to get rid of the bug. And in some instances, you might have a bug that will be with you for many years that uh, yeah, antibiotics just, just can't fight. So it's imperative that people with CF stay, you know, a distance away so they're not coming into contact. And the, there are safe distances sort of like in open air, sort of 10-ish feet, um, roughly. But again, it's... It makes the disease, especially for youngsters and children, this is why, you know, as a charity, CF Warriors, we focused on the online community in the inclusion because we can't train together, we can't exercise together. And it's a very isolating disease for for children because they don't quite understand the disease at a young age anyway, because it's quite, a, well, it's a very technical disease. There's lots of elements to it. But also, you know, it, if you can imagine... You know, when I went to events when I was a little bit younger and I was told, oh, you must stay away from that person. And you question, think, well, why? You know, why can't I go and speak to that person? Or why can't I go and shake hands or give them a hug? And I think that's probably one of the worst things about the disease in particular, because, you know, I think people take for granted just to go up to someone and, and give them a hug to, to tell them that it's going to be OK if they do this, this and this. Um we we physically can't do that. So we focus very much on the online community, on exercising together. Um, you know, I, I'm I've got a series of videos which will be coming out next next year where, you know, youngsters and children from all over the world can exercise with me, essentially, just virtually. Um we also do the virtual warrior games in May where children take part for twenty four hours. They can do sort of twenty minutes of exercise or they can do a couple of hours of exercise, whatever they choose to do, um, and send in their videos so we can share them to the community. So there's all these things that we're trying to work on, but you, you know, you're quite right. With with that element, it's not a well-known element of cystic fibrosis. Um, however, it's probably one of the most important things to understand that it is it's pretty pretty horrific for these children. And that's clearly why an online community is so important. Mm, absolutely. You're getting across that message of awareness of, of CF and the importance of exercise. So what's next for you in terms of your challenges? So, uh, yeah, it, it's a really strange one because, like we touched upon earlier about the highs and the lows of, of these challenges, you know, you, you, you do so sort of come crashing back down to, to planet Earth once you, after a couple of weeks of, of doing one. And so next year, I vowed that I don't want to do just one challenge. I'm probably going to do two or three, but the first one has been set. Um, and we announced that on uh, Friday, uh, last Friday. And that starts on April the 3rd. And I'm going to attempt to run 24 marathons in 24 consecutive days for Rays of Sunshine charity. And I'll be finishing, my last marathon will be the London Marathon on the 26th of April. So that's something that I'm going to start training for fairly soon. And yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it, actually. It's going to be, it's going to be a very intense 24 days. But, um, but again, it brings with it its, its own challenges, uh, you know, with, with sort of diet. As, as we know, if I want to do more open water swimming, I'm going to have to keep, keep some weight on. So my diet is going to have to be very calorific for 24 days to make sure I can I can keep my weight up. Wow, that's an absolutely amazing 24 marathons in 24 days. So uh, how's the ankle then? Uh, it's been better. <laughs> it's it's certainly improving. I've, I've had it up for 
well, I've certainly rested it quite considerably after the challenge and it has massively improved. I think the the difficulty that I have at the moment is that any slight knock or if I just go on over on it, you know, if I, if I roll it very, very slightly, um, it seems to swell pretty quickly. So we're going to have to sort of do some physio on that over the over the Christmas period and just some, some rehab, really. But like anything, you know, if I go into this injured, um, it's 24 days. There's no sort of time limit on the marathon. If it takes me four hours, five hours, or even if it takes me seven hours to do, um, then that's what it takes. So it doesn't matter how slowly I go, as long as I complete it sort of without stopping, I'm not going to break up each marathon. And uh, and if it needs to be strapped, then then we strap it up and, and we continue really. So fingers crossed, but I'm preparing to, to go into the next one injured as well. <laughs> That sounds like a really sensible approach, not only from a physical point of view, but from a mental point of view, that you're prepared should it take you a lot longer than you think. Mm. That, to me, is the, the spot on the, the, the attitude that's required. Finally, um, just to ask, if you could give one of our students any piece of advice, what would that be? Wow. I think growing up, I was always sort of told that my goals, my ambitions were going to be impossible, um, not just for someone in my position with cystic fibrosis, but also for just your sort of average human being, I suppose. And I've always thought, and especially in these previous years where I've I've been able to fortunately prove people wrong, that impossible is not a fact, it's just an opinion. And if I can sort of help students to realize or even just one student to realize that you shouldn't tell someone that their goals are impossible it quite clearly it's it's just someone's opinion um and i think you can't treat everyone like a number because i think that's what's happened in the past especially within the cf community you know we're all individuals and we all have different potential so i think that that's the one thing that i would say to them really is to look at everyone as an individual and even yourselves because, you know, I'm sure you have, you know, students there who have huge amounts of potential without even realizing it. So I think really to understand that nothing is impossible, no matter how big the goal is, but also don't put limitations on your own own progress. Josh, that, that sounds like really sound advice. And good luck for your next challenge. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you can join us again for the next episode of Humans in Extremes. This episode was created, presented and produced by Dr Heather Massey with production assistance from Tom Langston. The music used in this episode was District 4 by Kevin McLeod. All copyright information can be found in the show notes. 